Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Shooting the Sports Podcast with Ebony and Ivory. My name's Jonathan. I'm the Ebony. And my name's Nick, and I'm the Ivory. Welcome into episode 13. And I want to start off this episode by saying I hope everyone had a wonderful 4th of July weekend. I know I sure did. John, what uh, what did you have going on this weekend? Did you do anything exciting for the 4th of July? I did a whole lot of nothing. Watched some fireworks from my front porch. Real easy time. Uh... Great, great time to, to celebrate America. That's awesome. Yeah, I uh, went out to a parade, went to a little carnival afterwards, cooked out. It was, uh, it was a good time. Relaxed the rest of the weekend. It was a good time. Um, I, know, uh, I know who else had a really great 4th of July weekend, um, and that would be the Colorado Avalanche. Won the Stanley Cup. I bet they did. Won the Stanley Cup in between uh, the last, last time we recorded and, uh, and now. The Lightning took game three, or excuse me, took game five um, after being down three to one. And I thought the Lightning were going to come back and and give them a little run. You know, they they took the game and then game six came along and Colorado just said, no, we're uh, we're done messing around. And uh, they took it home and congratulations to their whole organization. That was a, well, depending on who you ask, could be a huge upset, but uh, definitely want to give them their props. Like I said, I know that they celebrated. I've seen a few pictures. One of their guys actually slept with the Stanley Cup the night that they won it. Uh, there was a picture of him waking up the next morning with the Stanley Cup in his bed. That was pretty funny. But definitely, like I, I, said, I think the I think the greatest part is, and what people don't understand about sports is, I watched the trophy ceremony afterwards, where they were doing the interviews with people and passing the Stanley Cup around. The the pure joy you get from you know, your executives all the way down to the trainers and the players. It's, it's, it's definitely a sight to see. It's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. They were every, every single person that grabbed that cup, they were, they were ecstatic to have it in their hands, even if they've won it before, um, which I actually don't believe, I think only one or two of their players have actually won it before. Um, but yeah, there was a couple guys, they had one guy who had been playing for, I think 16 years. That was his first Stanley cup. Uh, so, you know, congrats to him. That's, that's huge. Um, I did see the one guy. Did you see the guy dent the cup? I did. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I mean, that happens every year. You know, somebody does something to the cup every year, but, you know, it's... Uh, I forget the name of the player, but I think the greatest thing for me was someone who had been with the with the, uh, with the organization so long. He was there like seven, eight years, mm-hmm. you know, when he first got there. Um, it was hey, we're in last place. So to see all that through, I thought that was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I uh, I think we're talking about the same guy. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. It's it's slipping me here. But, yeah, that was a great series. You know, like I said, shouts out to Colorado. Uh, props to the Lightning. They've still won back-to-back Stanley Cups. Um, brought it to a game six, you know, the third year. Props to them. They're, they're, they're a great team. Uh, they prove that they're going to be a force to be reckoned with here for quite a while. And sticking with uh, Sigmund Hockey, this week is the NHL draft, um, and some sad news actually to report. Uh, Brian Marchant, he's a scout and former defenseman, uh, former NHL defenseman, died in Montreal today, uh, this week on Wednesday while attending the NHL draft as a scout for the San Jose Sharks. He was 53 years old, and the cause of death is not known yet, uh, but super sad, sad story to report. He... Uh, you know, he's in town for the draft, probably watching some kids that he was scouting himself get drafted and passes away, uh, like I said, at the age of 53. So thoughts and prayers go out to him and his family, um, the entire Sharks organization. That's a that's a pretty tough loss, especially the week of the draft when you rely so much on your scouts. That's uh, 100% thoughts and prayers are with their family. Moving along, though, let's uh, get on a little bit of a lighter note. Arch Manning, nephew of Peyton and Eli Manning, committed to the University of Texas last week. And that is significant because Texas is moving to the SEC soon. He's going to be playing against some major competition, getting a lot of exposure. The kid's been talked about for quite a while. I've seen some tape of him play. He's a hell of a thrower, man. He's, he's got his uncle's arms, uh, or his uncle's arm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. You know, Texas, me being an Oklahoma fan, Texas is our big rival. I'm not looking forward to playing the kid, but, you know, I think it's going to be really good for his career. Um, I don't know what that's going to mean for 
the other number one recruit they had come in last year, uh, Ewers, I believe is his last name. He's uh, He was the number one recruit. Arch Manning, the number one recruit this year coming in. I believe that's the first time that a school has done that since, I want to say USC back in the early 2000s, around the Matt Leinart time. They signed the number one recruit back-to-back years, and it happened to be a quarterback. So then let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. Do you think Texas going to the SEC helped influence that decision? Because I know we were all kind of shocked. I do. I was shocked that he went to Texas, but – Thinking about it, no, I think I think the move to the SEC was a huge, huge factor in that decision. And I think the potential exposure, um, you know, and the, like I said, the uptick in competition, any other school he goes to, he's not going to play, uh, assuming it's not in the SEC, he's not going to play against that level of competition. I think we can all agree that the SEC is the creme de la creme when it comes to college football conferences. Oh, 100%. Some other news, though, something actually that just popped up recently, a few hours ago. Um, Chicago Bears receiver David Moore was arrested for possession of a controlled substance and unlawful carrying of a weapon in Texas, of all places. Now, mm. my first question is, how do you get arrested for gun possession in Texas? I personally thought that they just give them out when you turn a certain age in Texas, but I guess I was Maybe wrong. Maybe you wasn't supposed to. That that could be that's and that's what I thought about. There wasn't a whole lot of news on it. Um, they did say that they found him asleep in the Taco Bell parking lot, and with a bag of THC edibles, and they found three handguns. Um, so that'll do it. Definitely, definitely the reason why. Um, obviously, that was a joke. You know, I yeah, you you get caught with any kind of narcotic and and three three guns. That's that's not going to be good for you. But that got me to thinking though. There's been quite a few arrests recently, last few years, you know, in the NFL. I I actually found that there is a database that tracks every arrest in the NFL. And there is a list of the top teams as far as NFL arrests go since the year 2000. Any guess as to, there's actually two teams tied for the number one spot. Any guess as to either team with the most arrests since 2000? Um, I know one of them, I'm going to go right off the bat, has got to be the Dallas Cowboys. Actually, no. Uh, believe it or not, the Dallas Cowboys are not even in the top four. So then my next guess would be the Cincinnati Bengals. That is a great guess. The Cincinnati Bengals actually come in third with 50 total arrests since 2000. The number one teams are the Denver Broncos, who just made it to 55 uh, recently with the arrest of Jerry Judy. And the Minnesota Vikings, who have actually had the number one spot on that list since the year 2011. So for 11 years, my team has been the most criminal, I guess. I don't, I don't know how you put it. Not something you want to be proud of. Um, actually, it was something that I was surprised that was even a, a stat that you could, you know, a list that you could find. Uh, but like yeah, I the said, Vikings. I'm shocked because I for sure thought it was going to be the Cowboys and uh and the Bengals up there. Yeah, no, the uh, coming in fourth, actually. Well, the top three, Vikings and Broncos at 55, the Bengals at 50, and then fourth place is the Chiefs at 40. So there's uh, really? there's 10, yeah, there's 10 arrests gapping the third and fourth place teams there. So it's, uh, yeah, that list actually shocked me too. I was, I was surprised by all that. Um, but moving on with the NFL, some other NFL news. Baker Mayfield was traded to the Carolina Panthers. Uh, we are going to actually get into that later on in the episode. Um, Cannot wanted to wait. mention that. Wanted to mention that though. That was uh, some probably the biggest NFL news that happened this week. Um, one other thing that I wanted to touch on: there was a, as we all know, the transfer portal is going on right now in college basketball. Players are moving schools for different reasons. One of those players was the highly recruited Imani Bates. He gave up his senior year of high school to. Signed with Memphis last year, play under Penny Hardaway. The year didn't go very great for him, um, but he actually made his decision last week on who he was signing with, and he's actually heading back home. He's from, I believe it's pronounced Ypsilanti, Michigan, um, and he's actually heading back home to play for Eastern Michigan of the MAC Conference. Eastern Michigan, yeah. they have schools like Northern Illinois, Toledo, Akron. Um, 
probably as mid-major as you can get as far as college basketball goes. He is should easily be the best player in that conference, but that, that brings a question up, and I want to ask you, do you think that's a good move for him? Do you think moving to a, a smaller school in a very mid-major conference, do you think that's a better move than going and signing with, say, you know, just for an example, a Kentucky or a Kansas or some, some, you know, a blue blood school like that. My answer is not going to be concrete. And here's why I feel like we can always look back in the day, you know, hindsight's 2020, as far as that on whether, you know, it's a good move or not, you know, knowing what we know about Steph Curry now, would we have said, Oh, Davidson's a good fit for you at that point. So I think a lot of it has to do with some of these kids wanting to carve out their own future and leave their own mark. Uh, That's not necessarily the path of everyone else. Um, Because for me, like I said, Steph Curry is a perfect example. If we knew back then what we know about him now, do you think everyone's going to be okay with him going to Davidson or, you know, have an opinion about it? So I I think for him and his family, if that's the right call, I'm all for it. Yeah. I, you know, I'm on a slightly different side of that. I, it confuses me a little bit because on the one hand, you're supposed to be a very highly ranked recruit. You know, he was, I believe he was the number one recruit for his class. Originally when he reclassified, he was number three. So out of the all juniors and seniors in high school basketball, you were a top four, top five player consensus, top four, top five player. Now, I'm fine with him going to a smaller school. I have no issue with that. But it's the it's it's the conference he went to. If he would have went to a smaller school, you know, like say, and not that it's a small school, but compared to most college basketball teams, a school like say South Carolina, for example, they're not as of late they've been, you know, they've gotten a lot better. But when you think of college basketball, you don't South Carolina is not a major school that you think of but they still play in a major conference. I think if you would have went somewhere that route, I would have understood a little bit more, but also, you know, now they have the, the G league route. You can go and play in Australia. You can go and play in all these other countries and do all this stuff and play against good competition and show that you belong. You know, he's still got one year left that he has to play before he can declare for the NBA draft. I don't know. I just, I think, and I'm a, you know, I'm a fan of the kids, but, Part of me thinks that this is the easy way out and he's just trying to make himself look as good as possible for the NBA draft, which I totally respect. But if your goal is to be a great player someday in the NBA and be a star in the NBA, I think you should challenge yourself leading up to that because it's not going to get any easier once you get drafted. I 100% understand and respect that. I, I, I think it's hard to say because we don't know why. If it was truly because he wanted to be able to make a name for himself easier, I 100% agree with you on that. If it had something to do with, you know, family or he just felt a close connection with the coach and the school and everything, that's a completely different story. 100%. So. You know, going back home, I, I don't blame him at all for that. That, you know, he's he lives in the town where that school is. He probably isn't even going to live on campus. He's probably going to live at home for the year. You know, I, I totally respect that. And again, like you said, we don't know what the what the situation is, what the reasoning was. And yes, it could have been the coaches. It could have been, you know, it could have been something with the school. But, you know, and again, yeah, it could have been something with his family. So I'm definitely going to be interested to see how it shapes out for him next year. Um, I don't think Eastern Michigan's made the tournament since the 90s, I believe. Um so, I mean, you'll have to stat check me, but how long was it that Davidson didn't go to the tournament before Steph Curry came in? Uh, that I don't know. I'd have to. I'd have to look that one up. But he uh, he definitely is going to have you know some work to do to to get them to the NCAA tournament. He's they're going to have to win their conference tournament, um, being that they're a mid major. Unless they go undefeated or something like a Wichita State, then they might get an at large bid. But that's highly unlikely. But like I said, definitely going to be interested to see how he does next year in the MAC. Um, considering, you know, like I said, he's got one more year before he can declare for the NBA draft. Um, and we'll definitely, definitely keep our eyes and ears open because I'm very curious as to 
the Definitely. why behind it. It's see if Definitely. You get a why. I feel like being the best player in that conference coming in, you're going to be expected to bring that team to at least the NCAA tournament. Nobody expects you to win it, you know, even make the final four, but I think everybody expects him to take that team to the, to the NCAA tournament. Uh, but yeah, speaking of the NBA draft, I know we were both paying attention. I know I was paying attention to the draft. Anything that stuck out to you, John, that, you know, not necessarily anybody, we're going to talk about, you know, who we think won and lost the draft, anything like that, but anything that stuck out to you while you were watching it? For me, it was the lack of trades. You know, usually you, you expect a wild night and everything seemed pretty consistent as far as not a lot of movement. So that was my biggest takeaway. People really wanted a shot at this class. Yeah, there were there were a handful of trades, but I mean, you expect a few every every year in the first round. But I, I agree, there wasn't, it didn't seem as active this year. Um, but, you know, at the, at the same time, I felt like there was a lot of unknowns with this draft. And I think the excitement of who's going to go where and what are teams going to do, because there was, there was a lot of talent in this draft this year. And I think, I think there was a few teams that, that really showed, you know, really showed that they're, they're serious about contending very soon. Um, one of those teams for me, my biggest winner of the night had to be the Detroit Pistons. Mm-hmm. I don't see how you could pick any other team. Um, there's a few teams that had very good drafts, but for me, it was the Pistons. They drafted Jaden Ivey at five. They acquired Jalen Duran in a three-team trade. All they gave up was a 2025 Milwaukee Bucks first-round pick. They got Kemba Walker in a trade. They're going to agree to a buyout with him, free up some cap space. Young core of Cade Cunningham, Sadiq Bay, Jaden Ivey, Jalen Duran, Killian Hayes, and Isaiah Stewart coming off the bench. And all of them are 23 or younger. This team is set up for success. I like the Pistons to contend in the East within three or four years. So not to piggyback, because it's funny, because we just so you guys know, we never talk about um, – who we're going to go with before we talk. We kind of always like to surprise each other. No, but, we just um, kind of basically run down, you know, here's what we're going to go over. You pick yours. I'll pick mine. We'll talk about it on the, on the show. So yeah, I, I, I don't know who you're picking, but it sounds, mine like, is you're, actually sounds like you're agreeing with me. Pistons too, for similar reasons, but different for me, it wasn't all the trades and everything. It was just getting Jaden Ivy. Um, I truly believe in this kid. I have followed him his entire college career his pedigree, his mom being the head coach at Notre Dame. And I truly do believe, and you can mark me down for this, this kid will be the next John Morant, if not better. Okay, okay. Yeah, I I, I love the, the Ivy pick. Um, also grabbing Jalen Duran. They, it was Jalen Duran or Mark Williams. You know, I, I had a feeling they were going to go with another big man there, but they ended up grabbing Jalen Duran in that. Um, it was a trade that involved the Charlotte Hornets who picked him. I'm sorry, the Charlotte Hornets, I knew were either going to draft Duran or Mark Williams. They actually drafted both and then traded Duran. So, yeah, very weird situation there. But I like Jalen Duran. I think, you know, out of between him and Mark Williams, who were, you know, slotted to go in the same area or mocked to go in the same area, Jalen Duran's obviously the more offensively skilled player. Mark Williams, shot blocker, rim protector, rebounder. Um, two different games, but I like Jalen Duran going to the Pistons. They have a lot of scorers on that team. Killian Hayes, Sadiq Bay play some good defense. Isaiah Stewart's a big body. Again, like I said, all 23 or younger. Props to them. They uh, they had a great night. They had a great night, and they should be, if you're a Pistons fan, you should be excited for the future because this team is going to so be a lot of fun this. to watch. How many years are you giving them? So I'll ask two questions. How many years are you giving them? until they are competitive playoff-wise, and then how long are you giving them until their NBA Finals competitive, in your opinion? Assuming that they don't chop up the roster to make other crazy moves, but I think if they keep this core of six players, I would say, or at least the core of Cade Cunningham, Sadiq Bay, Ivy, and Duran, um, I say I, I bet they could they have potential to get a play in spot next year in the East. Uh, you know I don't think the East is super strong, 
Um, but I think it's possible to get a play-in spot next year. I definitely think within two years they'll be competing for actual playoff spots. NBA Finals ready. I mean, it just depends on how fast they progress, but three or four years I think is realistic with this core. Like I said, you have all these guys 23 or younger. In four years, the oldest out of that group will be 27. Everyone will be in their prime in four years. So I, I kind of go along with that. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be next year they they get in the playoffs. I really believe that. And then I've got about three years, depending on how things go, until they can get to make that hump. Yeah, I mean they're gonna they're gonna have to pay some guys after three or four years. You know, Cade Cunningham's or Sadiq Bay's deal is gonna you know expire. Killian Hayes is gonna expire. People will probably make offers on them that they're either going to have to match or, you know, let them go. So I think three or four years, that's a realistic timetable, especially if you're planning on keeping all those guys. Now, if they want to make, you know, a trade or something like that and move some people around to bring in a superstar, that's totally different story. But with this core, yeah, I think three or four years is, is likely. What about, uh, what about losers though? Who do you got? Who was your biggest loser of the draft? (sighs) So that for for me, I'm I, I, I'm going to go as a whole. So this is going to be an interesting take. I'm going to say the G League as a whole was loser. Um, you hear a lot of people wanting to go to the G League, get better, and everything like that. But they actually had two players that were taken in the first round that were supposed to be in the G League or continue the G League, and now they're going NBA. They decided to skip the G League. So for me. I've always been very interested in how the G League is operated. I've had, you know, I've had difference of opinions when it comes to that. But for me, I'm going to the G League as a whole just because a lot of players were were uh, put on front street as far as getting drafted. Well, you are aware, though, what that what that means when it says that they're from the G League. Oh, I'm aware of that. But that's you know, that's always- the that's the extra route that they go. Those guys aren't expected to stay in the G League. They they come out of high school and instead of going to college and playing for a year as a one and done, they play in the G League against G League competition and then declare for the draft and are eligible. So, I mean, yes, the G League is losing these players, but they rotate these high school guys every year in and out, you know, some of the top prospects coming in and I I yeah, I think I think the G League will they'll keep replenishing those players every year. Well, so I think for me it's also the fact that you have a lot of players that are being projected to go in these first rounds and then don't end up even making it there and then all of a sudden land in the G League. So, for instance, Hardy, he was the number 2 recruit out of the class of 2021. Mm-hmm. He was projected to be a top 5 before the season, wound up being the last player in the green room. Yeah. You would think someone like that's going to go the first two rounds. So for me, 100%. I feel like the G League, while I understand the purpose of it, it, it's not flourishing the way I would hope it to be as kind of like that next step. It's more of a safety net, if that makes sense. Yeah, I um, I was, yeah, speaking of Jaden Hardy, I was really shocked that he lasted as long as he did. Um, he was He was very highly recruited. He was, like you said, number two in his class and yeah, he took that G league route and it, it, you know, it didn't work out for him, but you know, there's, there's some other guys that it's working out for Lester Canonis, you know, he got picked up by the, by the warriors. You know, he was, he went the G league route. I don't even think he was drafted. Um, you know, but it, it's like, it, it's an, it's another option for these guys. It's, it's the NBA's way of saying, we don't agree with you coming out of high school into the NBA. So here's a taste of the NBA in the G League. You know, I like the G League select team. I like that, you know, you have a group of mainly top high school talent playing against these NBA, fringe NBA players. Um, It's a great test for some of these guys. And there, but I think for every player that slips in the draft or doesn't get drafted out of the G League, I think there's going to be just as many that help themselves by showing that they have what it takes to play against, you know, grown men every night. But that's that's an interesting take. I actually did not expect you to. Uh, so to let say me, that. let's let's continue with that for a second. 
do you feel like maybe it would help them if they were doing this, doing it the same way that, let's say, Major League Baseball was doing? Absolutely. That you, that you get drafted and then all of a sudden you go to the bottom league, you know, minor league, just like G League, and then work your way up from there? Oh, for that? Um, no. No, I'm actually on the... I'm on the side of, I believe that, I believe that high school players should have the option to go to the NBA after they graduate. I don't think that they should be required to stay out of high school for a year, be 19, you know, meet all these requirements. I think if you graduate high school, whether you're, you know, I, I think there should be an age limit. You should at least have to turn 18 during the year of the draft. So if you graduate as a 16 year old, yes you should have to go to college for at least a year. But like right now, you have to turn 19 the calendar year of the draft. I think it ha- I think that should be 18, and players should be able to declare right out of high school. So I do, th- I do like the G League, and I think it should operate more like the minor leagues in the, uh, you know, in the major leagues. I think there should be more minor league basketball leagues um, that again operate like single A, double A, triple A. We have, there's many leagues in other uh, countries over the you know around the world. Some countries have four, five, six different leagues, and they're all different tiers. So I think America should have something like that. Yeah, definitely. But my uh, my biggest loser of the night were the New York Knicks, and I really, really didn't want to have to say this. I was really rooting for the Knicks. They had they had a good pick. You know, they had the 11th pick to start the night. And I was like, okay, they're going to be able to get some good talent here. There's some good talent in this draft. Well, then they traded that pick. And four future second rounders. And Kemba Walker. And all they got back was the 2025 Bucks pick, which is top four protected. So if that pick falls in the top four for the Bucks for whatever reason, they'll keep it. And then the other two picks they got were heavily, heavily protected future first rounders. Um, a lottery protected pick next year for the Wizards, who are probably going to be in the lottery. And then a top 18 projected pick for the Pistons next year, who are probably going to be in the lottery as well. So the Knicks aren't even likely to see either one of those two. Um, none of that actually made any sense to me on why they did all that. Start with a good lottery pick. You traded away a bunch of future uh, future seconds. Kemba Walker. Why? You got nothing back in I mean, return. I know you're not a huge fan of them, but, but I'm not going to lie to you. Stephen A. Smith had the perfect take on this, which was, what are you doing? No, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, that's exactly what I thought. What are you doing? But then I thought about it, and then they made a move shortly after the draft. And it all made sense. What they did was they shed about $13 million in cap space by doing that move. They got rid of Kemba Walker's deal, which was worth about 9.2. And they got rid of the 11th pick, which that rookie salary is worth about 3.7, 3.8. So they got, they shed about 13 million in cap space and then went out and signed Jalen Brunson to a four year, I believe $103, million deal. Um, so, Kudos to them. You know, I on draft night, if we're talking draft only, I think the Knicks lost based on what they gave up, what they got back. They got nothing in return, and they gave up a lot. But after the draft, like I said, it all made sense. The writing was there. Jalen Brunson to New York. They got a solid little squad now. R.J. Barrett, Jalen Brunson. Um, who's their big man they got over there? Julius Randle. So, you know, Knicks got a good little team. I uh, I don't know that they're going to be competing anytime soon. They probably could use some of those draft picks, but that's why I'm not getting paid. But speaking of getting paid, free agency is going on right now. Some big, big, big money getting thrown around in the NBA. Uh, to start with, Devin Booker signed a four-year, $224 million Supermax extension with the Suns. John Morant and the Grizzlies agreed to a four-year deal worth potentially $226 million. Nikola Jokic signed the richest deal in NBA history, a five-year $264 million Supermax. Brad Beal signed a five-year $251 million deal. 
Zion Williamson signed a five-year, $193 million extension that could be worth up to $231 million if he wins MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, or is on an All-NBA team next season. And that is the same, basically the same deal that John Morant signed. If he wins MVP, DPOI, or makes an All-NBA team, his deal will be worth 226 uh, Another deal, too, that got signed, Carl Anthony Towns, my Timberwolves, signed him to a four-year, $224 million Supermax extension. We locked him up for a while, so I am not complaining about that. We have a damn good core locked up for the next three or four years. I'm excited about it. Definitely excited about our future. Um, but want to give a shout-out real quick to Jessica Holtz. She is an agent for CAA Basketball. She became the first female agent to secure a max contract. Good for her. And she did it twice in the same day. She represents Devin Booker and Carl Anthony Towns. They both signed super max, super max extensions on the same day. So not only did she become the first woman to do it, but she did it twice. No big well deal. Well deserved as well. No big deal. Yeah. Props to her, man. That is that is awesome. Love to see it. Love to see it. Um, speaking of my Timberwolves, though, we also made a little a little move recently. Traded for Rudy Gobert from the Utah Jazz. Brought him in to play alongside Russell and Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns. Here's what we gave up, though. Malik Beasley, Pat Bev, Leandro Bolmero, Walker Kessler, Jared Vanderbilt, First-round picks in 2023, 2025, 27, 29, and a pick swap in 2026. So in total, we gave up five players and five first-round picks for one guy. I don't know that I'm happy that we gave up all of that. Uh, But, you know. And for those of you that aren't aware, the pick swap, basically that means that the Jazz will have the option to swap first round picks with us in 2026, depending on whose pick is higher. Um, Obviously they're going to take the better pick. Why wouldn't you? Uh, So essentially, yeah, we gave up five first round picks and five players for Rudy Gobert. Um, As a T-Wolves fan, you know, I don't, I don't know if Jaden Daniels takes a step forward next year. I think we can be in great shape, but we'll see what happens. The, uh, I I like it for you guys. I, I definitely think give it a couple of years and you guys will be there. 100%, 100%. 100%, 100%. And honestly, I, I I don't even want to say a couple years. I think we need to be there next year. And if we're not, I think that, that roster is going to get shaken up. I think this is a one-year one year rental, if not necessarily with Gobert, but I think with this, I, I think, let me say this. I think D'Angelo Russell gets traded if we don't perform next year. I think we bring in somebody else, get rid of his max deal, um, or $31 million, whatever it's considered. I don't know if it's max. Um, I think we get rid of him, we bring somebody else in, and we try it again. But I don't see – I don't know. I, we need a bench. We need to bring in a bench. That's, that's the main thing that we need. We're very thin as far as depth goes. And then we just gave up five players for one guy. So we have a great starting lineup. Love our starting lineup. I think we can compete with most teams with that lineup. But once those guys come off the come off the floor and take a rest, that's where we're going to get get hurt next year. And I don't know if you've seen this. This just popped up maybe an hour ago. The Brooklyn Nets offered Minnesota Kevin Durant for Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, and four first round picks. <laughs> I can't even finish saying that without laughing. They actually thought that Minnesota would give up the guy that they just signed to a Supermax extension, the rookie of the year, and four first-round picks for Durant. I love Kevin Durant. Been one of my favorite players for a long time. He doesn't have that value. If this was five years ago, six years ago, I might consider that, you know, if we're in this position, but... I don't know. Um, and speaking of Kevin Durant, let's talk about him for a second. KD requested a trade the day of or the day after Kyrie Irving opts back into his contract and says that he is coming back to fulfill his four-year commitment to the Nets and Kevin Durant. 
And then Kevin Durant said, yeah, I want out. Thanks, but no thanks. Any thoughts? Where do you think he's going to go? What, what do you, what do you think is going to happen there? So before I get into the thoughts on where I think he's going to go, let me get into my thoughts about him declining. I have always been a very big fan of Kevin Durant on the court. I, I'm not a huge fan of the way he handles himself sometimes. I do think it's childish. Agreed. You know, Agreed. Their own. But I'm not mad at him for this one. You know, I was mad at him for leaving OKC, going to Golden State, and then Golden State to Brooklyn. Like, I, I felt like all of that was, you know, call it what it is, bandwagoning. The reason I'm not upset about this is because you talked to a guy in Kyrie Irving that was supposed to build something for you. You two were supposed to build this dynasty. That's why they went out and got James Harden, this, that, and the other. And then, right or wrong, his controversial stance is the reason why you weren't able to make it work. And that same guy then says, hey, I'm coming back for another year. To me, it just tells me KD is all about winning at this point in his career. He's starting to wind down towards, you know, I don't think he's LeBron James downward, but he's getting there, you know. I think it's safe to say he's not he, he he's not 100% prime. Would you agree with that? Yeah, no, naturally. I mean, he's he's getting up there in age and yeah, no so, his prime is definitely behind him. And and so I agree. Me, I think most players do that though in their later years where they so chase for rings. Me, it's more he's just trying to he's more trying to win now. He wants to win now. Absolutely. And I, I don't blame him for that. You know, like I said, most guys do that when they when they get later on in their careers. So I, I don't blame him for that. But what's your opinion on it? You know, I, I don't know. I yeah, I'm not gonna sit here and, and judge his decision because at the end of the day, none of us really know what what the reasoning was for the decision he made. Um for all we know. Him and Kyrie might not be as tight as everybody says they are. You know, a lot of I've I keep hearing that they're really close and all that, and that's why they they came to Brooklyn together and you know all this and that. But maybe they're just not as close as everybody says, and maybe staying and playing with Kyrie and you know fulfilling this commitment that might mean nothing to Kevin Durant. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. If if that's not how Kevin Durant feels, then so be it. You know, he's not obligated to stick it out with Kyrie, you know. Um, What he is obligated to is to play for the Nets next year if they don't work out a deal because he is signed for four more years. He didn't opt in or out of any deal. He's already been signed, and he is under contract. I also think it's probably smart of him to do it now because if he waits until next year – then you have a whole another year of possible drama. You have another year of Kyrie being a free agency. I think now is the is the right absolutely, time. absolutely. And and you know honestly, what I what I think might have happened was, I think Kyrie made it clear that he was not coming back after this season. He was done in Brooklyn. He was you know willing to play out his deal in Brooklyn this year, and then he was leaving. Again, Kevin Durant's under contract for four more years. I agree with you. Maybe he didn't want to deal with that next year and just said, hey, fuck it. I'm out, you know. But where do you – I know we're speculating here and there's a lot that needs to happen as far as salary cap goes and moving contracts around to make room for the money. But do you have any idea? Where do you think he's going to go? Any any thoughts? So I don't have an idea – I guess you could say it concrete where I can be like, yeah, I definitely think this works. I think the one that is the most interesting, um, I don't think it would ever happen, would be the Orlando Magic. I'd be interested to see him partnering with Paolo and see how that works. Yeah, I, I seen Paolo's, uh, Paolo's post, you know, about trying to subtly recruit Kevin Durant, and I don't hate it. I don't hate it. That would be That would be pretty exciting. I mean, you'd have two dangerously talented offensive players on the floor at the same time. It'd be it'd be fun to watch. But yeah, you were mentioning Kevin Durant, the money he's owed. 42, almost 43 million this year, 46 the following year, 
and then just shy of 50 million in 2024 and in 2025 53 million dollars in his age 37 year so yeah definitely safe to say kevin durant is beyond his prime uh, still an amazing player and i think any team would obviously welcome him into their into their locker room but yeah it's going to be it's going to be tough to trade a guy like that you know you you got to make that money match up and there's only a handful of teams that can even do that, you know, and I, I don't know what any teams that would be willing to do that, but I agree with you though. I, I can't honestly think of, of any team that he's going to go to. I, I honestly have a feeling he's going to stay in Brooklyn and he's going to be playing in Brooklyn this year. Now, as far as Kyrie goes, I think there's too much talk and usually when there's smoke, there's fire, but I think there's too much talk about Kyrie to LA. I think there's way too much talk about it. Um, they have contracts to move that they could possibly do. I, I don't know if they have the picks to do it. We'll see how much young talent they're willing to part with. Not that they have much to begin with, but I think there's too much talk about Kyrie to LA. Um, so I think Kyrie in an LA Lakers uniform next year is, if I had to give it some odds, I would say, oh, it's probably four to one. I mean, I don't hate it just because you and I have talked about this. You know, I like, I I, I like the fact that it's a one year rental, essentially for the Lakers. Unless he tries to come out and say, "No, I want a big contract," then at that point, you know, I don't want him. But if he's willing to, you know, take a buyout, that men with the Lakers, I mean, I, I'm I'm okay with taking someone, even if it's for fifty, sixty games of Kyrie Irving's uh, level. For, yeah. you know. Yeah, no, no, I um I think, you know, Kyrie, LeBron, and A D, I think if healthy, that would be a very dangerous combo. Um, but you know, a lot of this and I, I feel like we do this every year with, with at least one team, but there's always a new duo or a new trio that gets formed in the NBA. And then we don't ever talk about them anymore because it never works out. You know, a lot of times these, these super teams, you know, they just, they don't work. I mean, the LeBron, Bosch, Wade, that was a little different. You know, Kobe, Shaq, that duo was a little bit different. But for the most part, you know, if I told you five years ago that Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden all played on the same team, you'd probably ask how many championships they won. They played 40, 50 games maybe together so i don't know we'll see how it works out i uh like i said that's i think why everyone always says on paper is different than on the court absolutely the same thing people thought steve nash kobe bryant and dwight howard were gonna win championships absolutely absolutely and, you know like i said i think Kyrie ends up in la but i really have a gut feeling that kd is gonna he's gonna finish up his year in brooklyn and then they'll work something out you know after the season or around the trade deadline but I think he at least starts the year in Brooklyn. I would agree with that. I would 100% agree with that. Let's uh let's finish it up though and uh let's get into it's getting about that time. NFL's over, excuse me, NBA's over, NHL's over. It's getting close to football season. We're going to be talking a lot more football talk, you know, coming up. Uh once especially once training camp gets going, uh getting closer to fantasy football season, we're definitely going to be doing a lot of fantasy football talk. Uh, that's, you know, huge, huge for us. Baker Mayfield got traded to the Carolina Panthers. The Browns traded, traded him for a fourth round pick and agreed to pick up ten and a half million dollars of his contract. So I believe the number came out to four or five million dollars that the Panthers are on the books for. Um, what do you think about that? Do you think, first of all, let me ask this. I think the main guy that we think about when we hear Carolina Panthers is Christian McCaffrey. Do you think this is a good thing for Christian McCaffrey or do you think this hurts Christian McCaffrey or does it not matter at all? Um, so I'm going to look at it from two perspectives, fantasy wise and regular NFL. My first take is regular NFL, regular NFL. I don't think it does anything. I think it maybe gives the Panthers a little bit more excitement, but I think Baker Mayfield is who he is. 
Um, maybe I'm wrong. I'm hoping I'm wrong because I do. I am a fan of the guy. But for the most part, I think that it's going to be the same. I think he may have a little bit more mobility than Sam Darnold, but I think overall it's not going to affect the way the Panthers play. Okay. Now, from a fantasy perspective, so, I think this is – Real quick, do you think he wins that starting job from Sam Darnold week one? Because I'm going to say this. I, I think I if – think he's going to win it? No. Do I think he's going to get it? Yes, simply because of the amount of money he's being paid. Well, but that's the thing, though. They're really not the, – the Panthers themselves are not paying Baker a whole lot of money. They're only paying him about 4 or $5 million, which for a quarterback is not – well, so then that brings me to my second point, which I think there he's going to start simply because Carolina or Carolina fans, as it were, are sick of Sam Darnold. They want something new. They want the quote unquote new hotness, even though they know what they're getting out of Baker. So yeah, I do think Baker is the starter week one. Yeah. I from, mean, I think, I think Baker is way more talented than Sam Darnold. And if he is not the starter week one, there is something much deeper than talent on the field going on. Now, from a from a um, from a fantasy perspective, I think this helps Christian McCaffrey a ton. I think Baker is a little bit more dangerous of a thrower than Sam Darnold. I think he has a little bit more mobility. Um, so I think people will respect the quarterback a little bit more than they did in Sam Darnold. However, I could also take the perspective that because of that, maybe they don't check down as much. Sam Darnold was known to check down. A lot of their quarterbacks were known to check down. Sam Darnold or um, Baker Mayfield likes to sling it. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what they do. He does like Um, to sling it, but I do want to bring up one point about Sam Darnold, or excuse me, about Baker Mayfield. He had one of the lowest check down rates in the NFL. Um, He only checked down to his running backs less than 5% of his throws last year. Uh, No other quarterback with a thousand plus dropbacks except for Josh Allen had a lower total checkdown or lower checkdown total, excuse me. The new coordinator that they have over there is uh, Mr. McAdoo. And during his best season as the play caller for the New York Giants, his lead back was targeted on average 41 times a year. So I think for fantasy purposes, I agree with you. On the field, real life NFL I think this is going to be a good thing for them. I think the Panthers are going to be able to be competitive, win ball games. I think Baker's mobility is a weapon, and they're going to be able to use that. But as far as fantasy goes, I honestly think this really hurts Christian McCaffrey. And little foreshadowing into our you know, future fantasy podcasts that we're going to be doing. If I'm taking, you know, if I have a high draft pick, I'm not taking Christian McCaffrey. No. I, I, I don't I have want number two in our in our fantasy draft this year, and I've already gone on record saying I will not be touching Christian. Now McCaffrey. I'll say this: I have the tenth pick, the turnaround, um, because that spot goes to the former champion or the reigning champion, which that would be yours truly. That made um, you feel good after how that many did years? that did that made me feel real good. Yeah, for the record, yeah, I, I will. I'll, I'll I'll tell the people, John. Don't worry. For the record. Um, I've been doing fantasy football since I was probably a sophomore in high school. Really, really getting into fantasy football. So quite a while. This past year, I won my first fantasy championship ever. Um, I have come in second too many times to count. Uh, so this one finally felt it felt really good to finally get this one off my back and uh, and lock that one up. But with that being said, I have the 10th pick this year. So the 10-11 wraparound. Um, and we have a 10 man league, obviously. And if he falls to me at 10, which I would be shocked if he did, because somebody in that in the middle of the first round, they'll take Christian McCaffrey. If he falls to somebody at seven or eight, I expect him to get taken. But if he falls to me at 10, he's worth it at 10. 100% he is worth it at 10. Because if nothing else, I truly believe that the Panthers are going to tell Baker Mayfield, if you start for this team, you are going to throw to 22. If you period. get him at 10, I would be very very mad if you didn't take him. Yeah, I, like I said, at 10, obviously. But being that he is projected as a top three, I, I'm not sure exactly where he's at off the top of my head, but I believe he's projected top three right now. I'm not taking him in the top three, especially if Baker Mayfield is the quarterback. 
because I want to see how much is Baker actually going to check down. Less than 5% of his throws on over 1,000 dropbacks. That is, that's not good. That's not good news yeah, for Christian McCaffrey. Stat, like you said, you have to take it with a grain of salt because that was the system he was in. We don't know what no, system. No, that was, that, was that was Baker Mayfield. The On top of Baker Mayfield having the lowest check down rate, their new coordinator, their new play caller, the last system that he ran during his best years as a, as a play caller, the lead running back was only targeted 41 times a year. So you add that to Baker Mayfield only throwing to his running backs I mean, four or 5% of the time. I'll give you that, that doesn't, also, that's not a recipe for success for Christian McCaffrey. I'll give you that. But also at the same time, none of his running backs were Christian McCaffrey. Absolutely. But that's that, that brings me to my point. I just said though, I think the Panthers tell Baker Mayfield day one, if you start for this team, if you win this job, you are going to throw to 22. We hand the ball to 22. We throw the ball to 22. It is a simple system. You got to get on board with it. I think Baker will get on board with it. You know, I, I don't see any other, any other way for the Panthers to operate next year, but you know, it's the Christian McCaffrey show. He's the man. But yeah, like I said, if if I'm if we're talking fantasy football, if it's a non PPR league, points per reception, if it's a non PPR league. I think McCaffrey, I think he'll go top three. He deserves to go in that top three spot. But in a PPR league, no, I, I don't think I don't think those numbers are going to be coming in bunches like we're used to seeing. I don't think he catches 80, 90, 100 balls next year. With this with this recipe with this recipe. He's looking at maybe 50 catches. And I'm sorry, but I'm not using a top three pick on a running back that's only going to catch 50 passes. 100% agree. So anybody from our league that is listening to this, please feel free to let Christian McCaffrey drop to 10 because he will have a nice home on my roster. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that with that being said, that's going to do it for us today. Yeah, that's going to wrap it up. We, uh, just kind of a just kind of a random random topics today. Um, you know, nothing really nothing really crazy been going on lately. I think we're going to be getting into fantasy football a lot more coming up, um, especially with the season rolling. You know, just right around the corner. Our fantasy draft is only two months away. I know most people start drafting around August, um, so most of yours are probably only about a month or so away. Um, but we're in that less than two month range, um, so it's definitely time to start ramping it up. Like I said, just going to be honest, that's probably going to be most of our content for the next few weeks. Um, unless we can get some guests on there, you know, we'll definitely have some, you know, always open to having guests on here and, uh, and talking to them. So stay tuned. If you're uh, if you're a fantasy football player and you're looking for some information about things, stay tuned. Well, that'll do it for us. As always, my name's Jonathan. I'm the Ebony. And my name's Nick and I'm the Ivory. <laughs>